0: So when we're creating our collections of stock photography, we're very mindful that when we're shooting, we ask ourselves continually, how would someone use this photo?
1: Sick of being upsold at gyms? Welcome to the Brands At Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is Taylor Cusick-Holman, one of the founders of SourceCo, a styled stock solution for creatives and wedding professionals. Taylor and I chat about creating a content strategy, more specifically, building a content calendar, managing the creation process, and tips to make distribution of that content as quick as possible. Be sure to check out the show notes at DaveAndKrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode, and I'd like to hear from you about what kind of content you'd like to see on the Brands Book podcast as we move forward. I'd also like to know, what episodes have you enjoyed most so far and why? To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davy and Krista Facebook page and send us a message. Now, on to the episode. Well, welcome to another episode of the Brands That Book podcast. I'm here with Taylor from SourceCo, who's getting ready to celebrate their one-year business birthday. And I'm excited to dive in and talk a little bit about SourceCo, but Taylor's here to chat with us today about planning, organizing, and distributing your content. And I think that's such a valuable, it's just such a valuable topic for all of us. I know that's something even I have uh, trouble doing, you know, just really committing to a workflow around content. So I'm excited to have you here today to chat with us about that.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to be here, Davy. It's been a long time since we've seen each other face to face. So I'm excited to, I know not everyone gets to join in on the video fun today, but uh, this is an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, well, I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to catch up. As uh, Taylor just alluded to, we actually met about two years ago now at the Creative at Heart conference. But at that time, you were with Isle Planner, um, mm-hmm. another tech company. I, you all are out on the West Coast, right?
0: Yes, okay, we're based awesome. in San Diego.
1: Yeah, so I'm excited to hear about your transition from Isle Planner into Sourceco. Kind of what all of that looked like. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how things got started. Yeah. And what I guess we should start with what SourceCo is. All right. <laughs> I, I feel Co. like I've just jumped I've jumped ahead. So let, yes. tell us what SourceCo is first.
0: Absolutely. So SourceCo is a styled stock photography company. We also have a line of acrylic styling blocks, even though we when we started We had sworn that we would never get into the physical product realm because that's a whole different beast. But when someone shows up with a really cool idea, you just kind of go for it. So the stock photography arm of the business really was... The idea came from my personal struggles and what I was seeing on the internet, especially through my work at Aisle Planner. Um, I was the former marketing director and editor-in-chief there, And it was my job to create an obnoxious amount of content (laughs) on a daily and weekly basis. You know, being only one person with, thankfully, I had the support of the most amazing copywriter, Jillian. But when you're one person and you're expected to create multiple social media posts every day, multiple blog articles every day, five days a week, um, your brain starts, I think, my brain has actually rewired because of (laughs) the problem and trying to come up with a solution. So because of that, I just kind of kept thinking there has to be some sort of easier way to find the visuals to all of the copy that I was creating and strategizing. And there wasn't any sort of stock photography company that I could turn to that had the level of aesthetic that I was looking for for Mm -hmm. a publication um, and a more modern brand. So one day I just kind of started Googling some things like, (laughs) does this exist? And it didn't really exist on any sort of scale specifically in the wedding industry. So from that point, I was like, okay, who can I do this with? Because I'm a marketing professional. I'm not a photographer or, you know, like a stylist by experience. And so I rounded up a team and we started working on it while I was still at Aisle Planner. So it was, you know, that behind the scenes project that I think most of us start with, Mm -hmm. with hopes of growing it into something. And after about six months... I, well, no, not six months, six months after our launch, I really felt like it was time for me to take that leap of faith that most small business owners take at some point where it's like, this isn't going to be a side project. This is going to be the thing that I'm working on. So that was what prompted my resignation over at Isle Planner this past fall was because I just knew in my heart of hearts that if I wanted source code to be all the things that it could be and help people in all the ways that it can, that I needed to give it, you know, my full effort.
1: So that's that's that's, the long
0: and short of it.
1: Yeah. And that's always such a tough decision, right? You know, uh, because on on one hand, you have some security in staying where you are, you know, and we can always kind of uh, mentally jump through those hoops thinking and justifying, well, you know, I'm going to stick with this, and I can make time in all these other places to work on this new project. But by actually jumping into something fully and devoting all of your time to it, you can scale it in a way that's just not possible doing doing anything else. How did you go about kind of making that decision like, okay, now's the right time? Like, was there any sort of marker you hit where you're like, you know, I think I really think this can scale if I just gave it more attention?
0: Hmm. I don't think that there was a specific incident, Sure. but it really was me taking a step back and having... An honest conversation with myself because I had, you know, I was one of the first people to join the aisle planner team. And it was, it was a couple years old when I did, but it was still a baby business in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, the number of wedding professionals that were using the platform. So being a baby business, I basically had, I had the challenge of growing a brand with no budget. Mm -hmm. And over, you know, my three and a half year tenure there, I managed to do that using basically just my brain and <laughs> like whatever scrappy skills I could put together. <laughs> so it really was more of a, I know that I've done this before and I know what I can do when I have, when I surround myself with the right people to kind of complement it. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, someone's got to drive the bus and I have, you know, my three business partners are amazing women I'll name them off at sure. some point during the during our conversation. Um, but someone needed to drive the bus, and they are all basically new moms. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm the childless one. So, sure. it's like, okay, well, I'm the childless one. So, this kind of needs to be my personal baby that I'm nurturing and pulling them in and giving them direction and very clear, you know, expectations and needs so that they can still do all the things that they need to do as parents without sure. losing their mind because they're trying to build a business at the sure. same time. So it was more of like this existential, <laughs> okay, you guys, if this is going to be something, then someone's got to kind of just take the reins.
1: Yeah. I think it's just always such a tough decision. Even uh, I talk to a lot of husband-wife teams and they're always asking, okay, well, how did you and Krista make the decision to to both go full-time? Uh, and I went full-time a few years after Krista had gone full-time with uh, with our business, and it's one of those things that at first it's hard and and to a certain extent there is a a pay cut right? you know I left teaching at the time, and so we weren't at a place necessarily where you know we had doubled what the business was doing at the time and thus could bring me on um, but figured you know if I jump in and i and and I'm able to give it all of my time, then we can grow it beyond that and you know fortunately, fortunately that's what what happened, but I always admire you know people who make that leap just because I know you know, how much goes into making a decision like that, but right? yeah, I want so to talk to about how you saw content work for you with aisle planner. One thing that you said that struck me is, you know, growing a business with zero budget, right? I mean, that's like every, uh, every entrepreneur just getting started unless you're uh, a funded, uh, you know, like a VC funded, uh, business. So yeah. how did you, how did you use content specifically, uh, for aisle planner to, to grow your business? Yes. Or to grow that, rather.
0: Yeah. Some of my girlfriends call me like a content queen at this point. And it's like, <laughs> like I, I seriously do think that my brain rewired itself to look at the world through a different lens. But <clears throat> when it comes to creating content with zero budget, it really starts with creating that content on the one piece of real estate that you actually own on the internet, mm-hmm. which is your website. and subsequently is your blog. So, I made sure to on a, you know, monthly basis, I was actually planning out a content calendar for essentially the quarter, like each quarter at a time. And being very strategic about what is the experience of a wedding professional, right? So, if we're just going to talk like in the most generic terms, you know, cuz there are some geographic areas where their, you know, their peaks and valleys are at different times. Like when you live in Arizona, your busy season is not this July. summer, yeah. which is everybody else's busy season. But so I was very intentional in thinking, okay, well, what are people's actual mental capacity to consume information at different points of the year? And then what are the points in the calendar where they are very actively working on their business? So for wedding professionals, it's actually a pretty compressed timeline because you jump straight from busy season in the summer and early fall into booking season. Mm -hmm. So it's like, essentially, you have the month of October to get everything together in between your last wedding, which, you know, some people, especially here in San Diego, people are planning weddings year round. Sure. But to catch the professionals in that window of, okay, this is when they're actively seeking out information. So that's when I know I need to produce the type of information that's really going to hook them, um, as well as provide them with actionable tools. So for any business, you know, your customer has a cycle throughout the year. So making sure that that is mapped out and that you can appropriately create the type of content that they either have the capacity to consume or the need for. So once I had that all planned out, it was cranking out the like holding myself accountable to actually doing it. And it's easier to hold yourself accountable when someone else is holding you accountable, right? Sure. Uh, I'm 100% guilty of I mean, I just pushed a blog post off for source last week, because I had a huge opportunity come up that it was like, this has to get done. And this blog post can wait. So no one is perfect. But you have to hold yourself accountable to it. Like, this is, by definition, like, you know, these are the things that we need to do. And then from there, it was breaking up that blog post into reusable pieces, because that takes a little bit more time, but it's not an exponential amount of time. Because you're not recreating something for Facebook, Instagram, Instagram stories, Pinterest, you know, whatever distribution channels you have, you're not creating a piece of content from scratch, then Mm -hmm. you're pulling something apart that you've already done. And then that way, it becomes a quicker process. So and that was the only way that I was able to produce that kind of content on that scale, being a single person. Sure. Yeah.
1: So the kind of content that you were mostly creating was blog content. So mm-hmm. mostly written uh written content. Mm-hmm. And you tried to create that content according to sort of your your customer's journey or you know what their business cycle looked like, you know? Mm-hmm. So and again, I think that can be a little bit challenging especially for wedding professionals like you said here in Maryland wedding season is in full gear in October, you know, but in in November, it probably starts to slow down. And then I'd say December, January, February, typically uh, slower months, you know, not for everybody, but I would say just in general, slower months. What's interesting, what I find interesting about that is, uh, you know, website design company is that we often have, that's often our busy season, right? Because people's wedding season ends, but it's also booking season for them. So I always tell people, you know, especially as I talk to them in the spring and summer months, like now is actually a great time, you know, to work on your website because it, then your website will be ready by, you know, booking season instead of working on it throughout booking season. Anyways, that's a whole that's a that's a whole nother, uh, a uh, conversation. Yeah, a whole nother like, conversation
0: over here. No one can see me like vigorously shaking my head, but I, I <laughs> agree with that.
1: So how important has content been in both building uh, Aisle Planner and Source Co.?
0: Yes. So it's been terribly important. And when we talk about building content, you really can't have this conversation without talking about search engine optimization. Sure. Because, you know, I've started saying if it's not optimized, it's not worth it. Like, yeah. quite literally, it's a very harsh thing to say. But there is no point in just creating content to for creating content's sake. It really needs to do something for you and for your business. But you know every business owner should know these are the keywords that are the big fish for my business. And so when you're creating when you're writing blog posts, you know you're doing it with your keywords in mind, which means you're optimizing the URLs, which you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're all trying to just amass this mountain of keyworded domains. So and I'm like forgetting what the original question was as I'm going down the SEO route. Yeah, hole. just
1: talking about how important content is. And I but I oh,
0: that's
1: right. I mean I, I agree with you. Um and I mean obviously there's something uh SEO is something that we do uh as well um and is something that I was just talking about at the the hybrid collective uh conference this past week. Um but even something else you said a little bit earlier about creating reusable pieces of content from that piece of content, I think it goes along the same lines. Like um, instead of just creating content for content's sake, and one one mistake that I think I see people make that I'm really passionate about telling people to to correct is, you know, once you once you create a piece of content, you can reuse. You know that content. You mm-hmm. can reshare it. You know, hopefully, yep. you did your keyword research and it's optimized uh, for search engines. So you know, uh, people will stumble upon it. You know, later doing their doing their own research. But I think people spend hours blogging, share it once, don't yep. love the results from that, and then they stop blogging. You know. Yep.
0: Yep. So you know, like when you're optimizing your content, then it has that dual purpose of being the visual hook but also, you know, having the technological left hook that you sure. need it to have. So, you know, because it doesn't take as much money to produce a blog post that's optimized as it would be to run even a social media ad with, you know, any sort of budget, it becomes a very important part of like a guerrilla style marketing strategy sure so even with sourced especially with aisle planner when you have no money to build or you know to actually do something with like because getting yourself to conferences is expensive or even sponsor opportunities can be thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. in swag or fees you know this is the the path of least resistance and like lowest hanging fruit for business owners. So business owners don't have to do it on the same type of scale that I was doing it for aisle planner. Cause it's just not realistic. Cause sure. that was like, that was my job, but it is something that every creative business owner or, you know, small business, even if it's not a creative business, you know, you need to prioritize it because yeah. it can have an impact if you've done your research correctly and you understand exactly who your target market is, what their needs are, how you can solve the problem and what that niche is, because then you're able to cut through all of the noise, which is all of our like that's everybody's problem, right? Is cutting through the noise. So once you know that, you create content that speaks specifically to that person. And then, you know, you have more qualified leads coming your way.
1: Sure, sure. So how often would you recommend people aim to create content for their businesses?
0: Yeah. So because it freaks people out (laughs) and they're like, dealer, I don't have any time. Um, I tell people to start with a very realistic goal of two blog posts a month. Sure. Right. Like start with that. The goal is to get to one a week because I think that that's still a manageable amount for someone who is either a business party of one or only has a small team. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have someone who's more dedicated to it, then you can start looking at the multiple posts, you know, blog articles a month. But if you can get to one a week, like you're in a really solid spot. And then like we talked about, you know, you break it apart, you reshare it, you know, you don't always have to be writing fresh content, Mm -hmm. or you don't always have to be sharing fresh content, Mm -hmm. right? Like, presumably, when you've written something, and you've shared it a few months later, your audience has new sets of eyeballs. Sure. So that "Quote unquote old piece of content now is new to them, so that's how you start folding in and making your social sharing a little bit easier. Because then you've already done like the legwork, and it's just a you know a matter of repackaging it."
1: Yeah, and I and I would say that even if it's people who've been part of your audience for a long time, you know often. Often they miss things, you know. If Facebook is only going to show stuff to your, you know, like ten percent of your page unless it gets a ton of organic traffic. Then maybe it's a little bit more than that. But you know, very rarely am I looking at my Facebook metrics and and seeing that a post has been engaged with by a hundred percent of of you know every the thousands of people who've liked their Facebook page. Same totally. thing with Instagram. So I am a, I'm a big believer in that. Just continuing to share old content until it's no longer valuable anymore. Maybe it's Correct. out of date or whatever, and then it's a Correct. good opportunity to go back. And update it because you've already, you've already started with it. Also love yep. the advice of starting two times a month. I think that's a very realistic goal for everybody. And like you said, I think if you can get to once a week, that's even better. I had an interesting conversation with uh, Graham Cochran, who's been on the podcast before, also talking about creating content. And uh, I can't remember if this is part of the episode or a conversation that I had, you know, <laughs> post podcast, right? But one thing he had said is that he was creating content two, three, four times a week. And what he did is, you know, he went down to three times a week. And just to see like, you know, Google Analytics uh, traffic, like, does that really affect, you know, Mm -hmm. my overall traffic? And I guess the answer was no. And then he went down to two times a week. And then he eventually got to one time a week. And so he consistently creates content once a week, but he's noticed that there's diminishing returns in creating more than that, you know, at least for his business, for a big company, I think that can churn out. Uh, five new posts a week, that's great, you know, good for them. But I would agree that the sweet spot being about once a week. And that's what we do. We aim to, to release new content once a week.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I was at Isle Planner at the peak, I was overseeing six blog articles every Monday through Friday, That's <laughs> which is obnoxious.
1: Yeah, it's right? a lot. Yeah.
0: It's obnoxious. And when it came to the professional blog, which was the the space that we started with, I was, we were producing four articles a week just for the professionals. And then eventually it got tailored back to two times a week. And I would mirror uh, what your friend's experience was, is that there wasn't this exponential drop off Mm -hmm. in page views when we cut our production in half. So, you know, part of that might be because like we've really done a good job of capturing the people who were going to be, you know, returners. But, you know, if you don't have to create four articles, I mean, basically the the moral of the story is you don't need to ever create four blog articles a month because, I mean, maybe Jenna Kutcher does it and Jasmine Starr, but they've got teams of people who are cranking it out and they can handle it. But like the average business owner doesn't need to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. So as far as, uh, you know, planning and organizing content go, like what tips do you have for people coming up with new content, and then organizing that content in a, makes, in a, in a uh, way that makes sense in a content calendar.
0: Yep. So to start with coming up with ideas, I'm going to kick off this conversation with the biggest mistake that I see people make. For sure. And the biggest mistake that I see people make is them wanting to include all of the things in one article, right? Well, it, all of those things. If you're talking about three different topics, that's three different articles. Sure. Right. So I know that the SEO rules are constantly in flux, and currently, Google really likes those uh, those ridiculously long pieces. Sure. But again, in in terms of reality, most people don't have the capacity to sit down and write a three thousand word blog post. Mm-hmm. Right. So. My advice there is when you have a list of topics, really make the effort to look at each. I mean, my brain starts in like working titles as opposed to topics, Mm -hmm. but whichever camp you're in, I look at that and I think, okay, well, these are my paragraph topics. Do any of those have like strong enough legs to stand on their own? And if they do, then I'll figure out a way to move that into a separate article and then keep, you know, the topics under a, an art, like one title, a little bit more lightweight, but still actionable. Sure. Because anything that's heavyweight should just be its own topic, right?
1: Sure.
0: Um, in an effort to get to those really long posts, there's, One business that I I can't actually talk about to like name them that I do this, I do this copywriting for them. But what they wanted to create, you know, this really long handbook, so to speak. Sure. And so what we did is we broke it up into five articles that they could publish on their own under five different URLs, but then create a master URL and put all of that content into one. So okay. they got the best of both worlds. Sure, They got five unique articles that are more niche, but then they could also go after the bigger fish keyword with a 3,000-plus word, word yeah. blog post, right? So, I mean, the the kind of trick that you need to do there is when you're compiling everything, you know, the, the SEO gods don't want duplicative content. Sure. So you need to go in and at least, you know, make some modifications. So it's not exactly, it's not just copy and paste. Sure. Uh, but that's a strategy to get the best of both worlds. Um,
1: I really like that because I typically write uh, 1500 to 3000 word blog post and it takes, you know, I want to say that it's probably a five hour project at least for me to write a blog post, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a great way maybe to cut back on the amount of time I'm spending on a weekly basis Um, but still get the same quality content out there in the long run.
0: Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to how I organize everything on the back end, my favorite tool has been using Basecamp. Okay. Um, I'm on Basecamp 2, though, which Basecamp 3 is different. Sure. I I don't know if Basecamp 2 is, like, I don't even think you can sign up for it anymore. But whatever project management platform you're on, you know, if it has some sort of task manager in it, I create sections where it's like what we're in May. So I have a May publishing, Mm -hmm. June publishing, July publishing. And then each task under that is the working title. And then under the working title, I keep all of, you know, like that's where I'm going to put my outline. If I happen to have the luxury of pulling in Jillian, my copywriter onto it, Like she, all of our communication is happening under that thread, you know, file sharing happens there too. So it keeps everything self-contained as opposed to in an email thread. Mm -hmm. So that's typically been how I organize stuff. And I know that there are fancier ways of doing it, but to me, they've been more complicated. And I'm like, I may keep it simple, stupid kind of girl cuz once it gets complicated that's how people's brains start shutting down because it feels like it's a bigger thing than it actually needs to be yeah so you know like you can for anyone who uses aisle planner you could customize sections of your checklist you know if you've got a project that's specifically about your business um, we also use Asana for. I have too many project management platforms. <laughs> yeah. Hi, my name is Taylor, and I use too many project management platforms. Um, but we also do some of this in sourced. You know, when you have business partners, everybody's brain works differently, so sure. you got to find the one that works for for the for the average. But so all three of those platforms have been useful for documenting and organizing content. Sure. But my personal favorite has been Basecamp.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think we use um, we use CoSchedule for uh, like within our WordPress blog, so it's a great WordPress tool for people who use WordPress. Um, that allows us more from a publishing and sharing standpoint to see kind of what's on the calendar, um, mm-hmm. and then we use ClickUp, which is similar to Asana in terms of you know overall project management for all the different projects that we have going on, from website projects to brand to SEO and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, but uh, probably pretty similar to how you use, uh, Asana.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line is that if you don't put it down on paper, even if it's electronic paper and sign a deadline to it, mm-hmm. you're not very likely to actually complete it. So that's why whatever project management system you have, even if it's a piece of paper <laughs> right, yeah. that you have like taped up on your wall, put dates to things because that's the only way you can Plan accordingly. Sure. Um, So, whatever floats your boat, just start doing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, let's talk about sharing and distributing content. I know this is a uh, topic that you're particularly passionate about. How do you make sure that people are seeing the content that you're uh, producing uh, and engaging with it?
0: Yep. So, for this conversation, I'm going to share a little bit about how we do things at Sourced specifically. So, whenever we launch a new collection, Whole, you know, list of things that the team works collaboratively to create, and all sorts of different assets for Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I mean, all of the the social platforms that we're right. on. And strategically, I know that when we share on Instagram, because that's the platform that drives the most traffic to our website, mm-hmm. I do promote the post that announces the new collection. And I give it, you know, a budget and a four-day run rate um, because that's a way that I can ensure that new eyeballs are seeing what we're doing. So there is an element of, you know... Paid traffic. Yeah, paid traffic. Um, I mean, but for something like that, I legitimately am giving it like a $20 budget over five days. You know, you don't have to go crazy and spend hundreds of dollars. But one of the things that... I think we all just, you know, sigh about is that the social media algorithms right now are rewarding you if you're being really proactive about your own engagement. So that has been something that I've made a concerted effort to do in the last few months and I have seen rewards from that just with now the organic traffic that we're getting or how much Instagram is letting our posts out from that we're sharing. So I don't think that there's like a magical formula for it, but those are some of the tactics that I've been employing to help get more eyeballs on our stuff. But, you know, when we do share, I am sure to make each piece of content that's being shared. And these are things that, you know, like are being pulled apart from the, what I call the, the mother or master piece, which is like Mm -hmm. the blog post or landing page. You do have to make sure that what you're sharing is native to each platform. And that's another mistake that I see people make. Right. So while I am, I'm sitting here holding my hand up, confessing (laughs) that, you know, I do sometimes share portrait oriented images on Facebook. Like that's not the, the ideal, but sometimes that's just like the best photo. Um, you know, making sure that you're sharing the types of images that fit the platform the best. Um, you know, I also know that our audiences on Facebook and Instagram are very different. So I take like the bones of the caption and I'm tweaking the voice a little bit Mm -hmm. to you know, so that it's actually still speaking directly to the people who are, are looking at it on those platforms. Um, So if you're creating content and you're doing it in a way that is human, that's going to help you in the long run. But it is in terms of like the overall strategy, a blog post publishes and we have a version that goes out on Instagram posts. We have Instagram stories that have been designed. We have a Facebook post We have pins that are designed, which we have a bunch of internal templates that we use for that to expedite the content creation process. I know how I typically break things up and share on Twitter. And then we actually have a page on LinkedIn as well. And that's similar to our Facebook audience. So I just kind of like copy and paste there. Sure. But that's what the web of distribution looks like for us. And like I mentioned, we have templates that we've created to make it all go quickly as opposed to like recreating the wheel every single time.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, having those templates in place is probably huge. Uh, I know yeah. it is for us just making sure that there were, like you said, for Pinterest, you know, I forget what it is, two to three ratio, you know, yeah. images, the long verticals or what or whatever, yep. you know, whereas yep. on Facebook we're you know, you're probably using a square image, Instagram square image, ID stories, you know, something that looks more like, Pinterest, but we have templates in place. And so I can assign that, you know, to Krista in ClickUp, you know, which is what we use. And then those images are ready for that particular blog post. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why we like CoSchedule too, is because CoSchedule allows us to schedule to these various platforms using those, you know, various images. Um, Yeah. So that's been, uh, that's been really helpful because if you try to do it, you know, afresh every single, every single blog post, uh, you know, that one... That and especially if you're blogging once a week, it's going to, it's going to add up. It's going to eat up your yeah,
0: time. Yeah, totally. And I mean, the other thing that you that everyone should be familiar with is you know, and this is not anything groundbreaking, but knowing your optimal times to post. Sure. Right. Like I kind of freakishly check our, you know, on Instagram. It's so easy because it's just like the the user interface is so clean that you know I can just double check and remind myself. Because if you're not posting at those optimal times, like then again, it's kind of like not optimizing sure. your process. So it's a very simple way. A, if someone out there that's listening to this hasn't changed their social media accounts to business accounts, you should do that. Sure. <laughs> because it's free and it costs some money. Um, but it also gives you access to that. So, you know, with the the bang for your buck kind of theory. You know when you have the most eyeballs in general mm-hmm. looking at your profiles and then you can schedule accordingly.
1: Yeah, and, and not to plug co-schedule again, but it's nice because I can choose yeah. you know uh when to share and one of the options is best time. And so uh, you know, it, it, I'm assuming it uses something like machine learning to figure out, okay, this is when most of your posts are engaged with, and so that's the time that it's going to uh publish. Um, yep. And it does that per day, which is nice. So it might be different on a Tuesday than it is on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we found that to be a really helpful tool. Uh, they did just raise their prices though. So, you know, it's getting <laughs> to the point where it's like, is it I worth know. using this? I know. You know, Is it worth using this tool anymore? So I do want to talk a little bit uh, as we wrap up our conversation here, how content creators for their various businesses can use SourceCo to help them in their uh, help aid their content creation uh, process. So tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, again what people can find on SourceCo and then how they can use that or, or work that into their workflow.
0: Yeah. So as I had mentioned earlier, you know the reason I had the idea for this was because I was create i i was I had a personal need for <laughs> more photos, but not just pretty photos. They needed to be functional as well. So when we're creating our collections of stock photography, we're very mindful that when we're shooting, we ask ourselves continually, how would someone use this photo? Mm -hmm. Like, sure, it might be the prettiest thing ever. But if it doesn't serve a purpose, then it's likely to get cut from, you know, the actual deliverables. So what I'm talking about in terms of functional photography are things like having white or negative space built in to, you know, so that it makes it easy for someone to drop in text for announcements or, you know, whatever else they might, advertisements and things like that. Um, because even the best wedding photographer might not have the right image for something like that in their portfolio because, mm-hmm. you know, shooting for your client, not for your marketing needs. And your marketing needs mean negative space. Sure. So there's that. But we also are creating images that in themselves are a talking point. So again, based on my experience at aisle planner and writing, I actually counted before my last day how many (laughs) blog posts I published over three and a half years. And it was 891 over three years. So I had I knew what the like the bi- the conversations that I never got to have cuz I didn't have like the visuals to pair with it. Sure. So the other part of what we do is okay, well what's Taylor's internal list of blog posts that wedding pros want to write and we're just like trying to crank those out yeah. because again, it's very difficult for wedding or creative professionals to you know, get these types of images to talk about the business of doing their business. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, I think this is one of the big things that makes our shop and subscriptions unique: is that in addition to the stock photography, we also release a a collection of graphics, like pattern, repeating patterns, or you know, uh, hand illustrated elements and watercolor washes that people can then use to use in stories or add texture and dimension on their websites. I actually just created an advertisement using one of our graphics. Cause like 90% of the work was there. And then I just added some words and dropped in a photo and it was like, it makes me look like I'm a designer and yeah. I'm not a designer, but I could do it. So those are the things that we're really working to create for people so that, you know, That's how they shave time off of their content creation process and also not become as frustrated, right? Because there's an element of you know you should do it, you want to do it, and you can partly do it, but sometimes you feel like you can't take it across the finish line because it might be too expensive to hire a graphic designer to do one project, or you're like, I don't have a budget to hire a photographer to do this photo, sh- like this marketing photo shoot. So like, that's the ecosystem that we're trying, like, it's really a, an ecosystem of resource, which is kind of why we ended up being sourced co, because sure. we want to be the destination where people come to source things for their marketing needs and for their business. So we've also, like, we price things, you know, at a rate that's like, you know, for 15 bucks, you can come get the stock photo in the shop that you need. We have certain graphics that are perfectly sized for Instagram or Instagram stories. And those are like five bucks. Mm -hmm. And then subscriptions are, they start at $49 to get access to an entire collection, which is usually um, at least 75 image and graphic files every month which part of me feels like we're over delivering on that (laughs) (laughs) because no one actually can use 75 files in a month. But you know, we know that everyone's brain thinks differently. So we do like different versions Mm -hmm. of photographic vignettes or different versions of the graphic fills so that people can choose what like really speaks to them. So that's, that's really the goal for it is that it gives people the visuals that they need for the expertise that they want to share. And that it gives them essentially templates that they can use without having to, you know, go through the whole design and creation process themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really admire how you are uh, taking a really holistic approach to how people create their content in creating the resources that you're creating for these these content creators. So not just... Hey, we want an image that looks beautiful, but this image can be used in all these different places. And this is how people might use this image. And this is how, or these are the kinds of content that people might be creating. So, yep. uh, that's awesome. How can people, or how, you know, I guess, how can people get to the shop? Uh, where should they go yeah. to check out SourceCo um, or yeah. follow along?
0: Yeah. So you can follow along at, sourced underscore co. That's our Instagram handle. And our website is sourcedco.com. Someone already had sourced.co. <laughs> they don't do anything with it. I was like, oh man. But yeah, so our shop is on the website. We have subscription options. You know, you can start a subscription, cancel it at any time. You know, we don't lock you in for stuff. But you know, if there is also the option to subscribe on an annual basis. So that you get access to the entire library that we've ever created. So we've got 14 collections of styled stock that our annual members can just pop in and, you know, pull from whenever on a monthly basis. um, Monthly subscribers get access to the current month's collection. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, $49 for 75 or more files You know, no one's planning any sort of styled shoot for $49 Sure. because time is worth more than $49. Sure. But yeah, so sourceco.com and at sourced underscore co is where you can find us on the internet. And then I've kind of been bopping around in real life all over the place this year. So I'm trying to think, where am I going to be next? I'm going to be at LVL Academy in North Carolina in June and then again in november but that'll be in southern california and then we'll be at show it oh awesome well are you guys yeah. going to show it
1: yeah i'll be speaking at united this year
0: oh sweet yep. well then we'll get to see each other in real life
1: <laughs> yep that sounds good well
0: uh, yeah
1: yeah thank you for your time this morning thank you for sharing uh, all of your you know content tricks with us uh, i know this is a, a topic that um, you know people just struggle creating content you know there's so many different pieces uh, to it that we've, that we've discussed today, but I think it really is one of the most important things that you can do to your, for your business, because really I think it's the primary way that you show you're competent and that you're good at what you do, you know, um, that you establish yourself as an expert. So I really appreciate your time. I will include a link to all of those, uh, to the Instagram, to the website, all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening, you're driving, you're running, whatever you're doing, you can just go to the show notes and then you can click over to sourcecode.com. So thanks again, Taylor.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Davy.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to davianchrista.com.